0: Welcome back to Tech Talks. I'm your host, Jack Brownwood, and this is the podcast where I speak to some of the brightest and most influential people in the tech industry in the UK. This week, I sit down with the Director of Engineering at Moonpig, Mark Evans. We talked about all sorts from what it was like working at Moonpig during COVID, how do you maintain a culture while operating remotely, and the arrival fallacy.
1: When I look back throughout my career, I'm like, if I get one more promotion, I'll have more impact. If I get one more thing, I'll be happier. When you achieve the thing you think is important, or your end goal, so the happiness you expect might not be there.
0: For More information on the episode and Tact Talks. Head over to tact-it.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the episode.
1: Mark, thank you for coming on. Glad to be
0: here. We usually film in like a, a bit more of an open um, outside space, but well, we did previous to this. Mm-hmm. So you, I used to be able to comment on the weather, uh, but. You, I don't know. What is it like outside?
1: Raining, of Manchester. Of course.
0: Well, look, if, if anyone who doesn't know who Mark is, uh, could you tell us who Mark is?
1: Yeah, Mark is currently Director of Engineering at Moonpick. Um, I've been with Mumpic now for around four and a half years. Mm-hmm. So quite a while. i um, seen quite a lot of changes. Um, been in the industry now probably over 27 years. So uh, I've seen a lot. Uh, I've done a lot. You know, worked in multiple countries. So, you know, I spent quite a bit of time in Spain. Spent some time in Den Haag. Um, I volunteered for the WHO in India for a while. So yeah, it's been an interesting career.
0: Yeah, and come back to Manchester. And
1: Come back to Manchester <laughs> for the weather, of course.
0: Of course. Where was your favorite place if, if you had to pick,
1: I don't think I got a favorite place. I think I've got favorite times. And I think most of those were when I first arrived in a, in a country. Sure. You get to learn about the culture, the people. Um, you get to learn to get frustrated very quickly mm-hmm. when it doesn't compare to what you expect. Um, so yeah, that's almost like the most exciting time is that is that initial arrival and managing expectations of yourself.
0: Love that, fantastic. Well, look, we always like to start with it, your career started somewhere, you know, and uh, you've already told me that you're not a very good drawer. No, but um, could you could you please draw what you wanted to be when you were
1: crikey when you yeah. were a wee lad, <laughs> a wee lad, um, <laughs> yes, oh, back in the seventies. <laughs> Crikey, how do I draw? Um,
0: Everyone has the same thing. The reason we do this again, tax big thing is creating a world where everyone gets their dream job. So uh, we like to figure out where where that started. I don't even know what that starting out. I always try to guess halfway through. Where where did this initial... uh,
1: Um, So this kind of started um, driven from my grandfather. Um, He was uh, very much doing this thing. My drawing skills aren't
0: really it's, it, it, it's fantastic. It's incredible.
1: I'm going to draw some hands. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Ra- random hands. Uh, and then to give you a clue, that's basically a uniform. Okay. need that kind of a collar. need a good collar. This is where it gets really awkward. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, okay. That makes that, makes that more, make more sense? sense. Yeah, I was thinking police officer for a second. Yeah, but, close. Uh,
1: pilot, right? Pilot, yeah. Okay. You need some stripes on your arm. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, I, I loved flying as a child. I was in the air training corps. Uh, I used to go flying from Bournemouth Airport all the time. For anybody
0: who's listening, definitely go check the video out because that's a fantastic drawing by Mark. Thank you very much. Cheers.
1: Yeah, I used to to fly with the Air Cadet. So probably every sort of two or three months, we'd get a weekend uh, where you'd fly at least five or six times over the two days. Round from Bournemouth, right around the Isle of Wight, back round again. Um, You get to control the plane. You couldn't land and take off because you're a little bit too young. Um, But yeah, just flying is just an amazing feeling. A feeling of freedom. Mm. Uh, which, you know, as a young child, that's kind of what you want. You want freedom. You want to explore. um, And flying is just super cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely is. And uh, so how did you go from wanting to be a a pilot to...
1: Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So I originally applied to join the RAF. um, But because I'm asthmatic, um, there's there's basically a policy where you can't join the armed forces with with asthma. Mm -hmm. So it kind of like set my career back. I'm like, I don't quite know what I want to do. Like, what do I enjoy? And I wasn't quite sure um i'd enjoy playing with computers from a young age and i'm like yeah let's kind of do that so i went to college in computer science at a level um and that's kind of where I really where it started I mean, it wasn't a plan and i never planned to get into technology um it was purely I couldn't join the raf i'll do plan b and that was kind of my plan b
0: so what was the because you mentioned i mean i don't know how long ago it was and i won't make you admit it um, and yeah. what was the uh roots into uh, computer science mm. like back then was it well, no. um,
1: it's always difficult, right? The, the hardest bit is to get your first job. It's um, so like I've done my two years at uni and got my A-level. Then actually, how do you get a job? Because everyone wants experience, and you can't experience without a job, and you can't get a job without experience. So you end up in this this loop, and it it's kind of sad that it still happens today. Like you still can't get your first role without some kind of experience. So, um, I applied to work for a small automotive company in the New Forest. Um, they worked out of a cow shed uh, near Brockenhurst. Like it's very bizarre. Um, and they took a chance and kind of, you know, I joined them as a, as like a QA, slash IT person, um, that then really spawned my, well, actually I can build code. I can build applications for them. And it kind of really developed from there. Yeah. That first person that took a chance, ultimately they kind of helped me get to where I am today, which I'm really kind of grateful for.
0: That's incredible. I think people don't realize how, again, how, I've said it in a couple of podcasts, how important it is um to have that one person uh, just
1: takes one right it can it can shape someone's life and they they did for me and that you know that for me was really really nice
0: that's incredible also a bad man i know you're in obviously in a leadership position now Mm -hmm. so you must really resonate with this and especially a bad manager can also be a terrible oh
1: definitely again it can take you back yeah um right if you haven't got someone that really champions your career and is there to kind of sponsor and support you um like you can get stuck in a rut and get stuck going nowhere and that's that's really not a great place for you to be
0: no, of course
1: um so yeah that's kind of also going kind to of help shape my management career as well like how i think about management um you know i think we we talked before around servant leadership You know, ultimately my role is to be there to support and serve the team not as some kind of like team maker slave but there to champion quality culture kind of find out how i can help uh, and that for me is again kind of shaped kind of how i how i view myself as a leader
0: yeah that, and that's a good point as well because servant leadership is for anyone who doesn't know what it is, I guess could be seen as like, oh, you're just a bit of a pushover or, yeah. you know, what, is that, how, do, how do you make that mm. um, distinction?
1: The way I look at it certainly leadership's around um, having the team own the culture, not telling the team what the culture is. So I think they're accountable for how they interact, how they work. You're there to um, to give guidance, coaching and support. You're not there to kind of do whatever the team want, but you're there to help. Uh, and that's kind of where the difference between kind of servant leadership and kind of slave leadership kind of comes in. Um, but yeah, a lot of people end up in the, I'll make tea for the team, I'll do all their meetings for them, and like, that doesn't help the team grow. Like, there's always things teams have to do. Um, so how do you as a leader support them doing those things? Mm-hmm. Um, and then challenging coach, and I think, really push them to get out of their comfort zone. Um, people can get very comfortable very quickly. Mm-hmm. So actually, how do you give them that level of challenge? Because that's kind of where the growth comes from.
0: Yeah, but there's a sweet spot around between too much and like, oh whoa, whoa Mark, I'm not ready for this, yeah. versus, no, I, I, I know that you can do this.
1: You know, I kind of look at, like, line management. I don't really want more than about four or five people because mm-hmm. you can build that relationship, have that conversation frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen teams that have 10 or 12 direct reports. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to get to know someone at that level um, when you're spread so thinly. Um, you almost play, play um, lip service to that. Um, versus really get to know people and really challenge and push them yeah, um so yeah that's kind of how i how i think about line management as well like it's really important to get that balance right between time with people and then obviously time thinking kind of more long-term and strategic um getting that balance right is really important
0: so you're again at mean been there for four and a half years i guess what i mean as anyone knows who's read the papers lots of stuff going on uh that's probably uh, influenced your time at Moonpig heavily. Could, yeah, could you speak a bit more to that?
1: Four and a bit years is, is a long time. And Moonpig today is very different to when I joined four and a half years ago. Um, you know, they were very London centric. We've now got an office in Manchester and that's sort of 70 odd people. Um, we've gone through COVID, you know, where kind of physical retail shops were closed. We've gone through an IPO. We've gone through a replatforming. Um, like a lot, of, a lot of things have changed in the last four years and that's been really exciting. Um, it's almost been nonstop, which, you know, for me, I quite enjoy. I don't like to get too comfortable. It's um, to much that next challenge, that next that next thing to solve. It kind of keeps me going every day.
0: What was it like when you first started?
1: Um, so definitely the team was a lot smaller. We had, you know, an older platform that, that needed some love. Uh, we were going through quite a big um, kind of growth period, like really pushing to serve customers. Um, you know, growing team in Manchester, like opening a brand new office, hiring people for the first time. Um, you've got to build that confidence that you're in it for the long term, not the short term. Um, so that was a lot of my my time and energy in the first sort of six, 12 months, was getting the office culture right, working across location yeah. for the first time for technology. Like putting a tech team in one place is the easy option. Putting it in two is harder. Putting it in two places but maintaining culture is really difficult. Uh, and so a lot of my time and energy went into making sure the culture was right. Because with culture, you can kind of solve everything else.
0: Really important question at the minute is how do you maintain culture or build culture yeah. whilst also operating remotely? How do you?
1: It, it's hard, <laughs> right? There is, there's, there's no magic solution. I think you've got to be consistent. Um, you've got to ensure that whether you're in the office or at home, you're treated the same way. You've got the same opportunities, the same access to people. Um, like it's very easy to go in the office and see the see the CEO or the boss and like, you know, try and get some time with them. So actually, how do you make that more fair? Um, luckily, we're kind of in London, Manchester, Amsterdam as a group. We've got a factory in Tamworth, a factory in Guernsey, so we're kind of already quite distributed no matter work from home or not, um, so kind of we're already in a good position in terms of all company comms are broadcast, so no one really misses out. Um, that, that definitely does help. Yeah. Um, You've got to think about meeting culture, like how are you not that face on a wall while everyone else is chatting in the room? Mm-hmm. So thinking about when you're having a meeting, ask the people remotely their opinions, don't wait for them to speak up. Um, It's really, really hard to interrupt a room full of people that are chatting. Um, Try not to have side conversations. Because again, like people on the the screen can hear those and it's quite distracting for them. Um, So yeah, it just takes a lot of of, of work, a lot of small um, signs and signals. And that's ultimately how you maintain your culture.
0: Yeah, because when COVID hit, the big thing was just like, Let's uh, every Friday, let's have beers together and let's, you know, let's do a crazy hat day or yeah. a crazy shirt day or.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, the, the whole kind of COVID thing, I, I think kind of changed work and brought forward changes to work, ways of working by, you know, personally, think five, ten years. But these things were always going to happen eventually. I think COVID accelerated that uh, and showed that remote working was possible and it could be as effective or sometimes more effective, where a lot of companies previously were quite sceptical. Um, luckily, Moonpig have always been, because we've had the Quest location, like, quite flexible. Yes. But yeah, a lot of my friends work in companies that were like, have to be in the office five days a week. Like, remote working is not an option. Um, can we kind of forced them to review that, and I think that's been really, really helpful to kind of, you know, ways of working, work-life balance, um, you know, people can spend that time going to the, the school play or do the school one in the morning or spend time with family. Um, I think that's been a really, really positive change. Um, but two years of, of COVID, I mean, it feels like a very long time. Um, I was in Amsterdam at the time. Oh, wow. And it was Wednesday, it's all going to be okay. Like, a week's time, we'll come back to the office. And it was almost two and a half years. Um, just, yeah, it's crazy, crazy period.
0: It, it doesn't seem real now, does it? It's... It
1: doesn't. No, just thinking about the, you know, shops shut, businesses closed, furlough, you couldn't get food. Yeah. You know, Toilet roll. Toilet roll. I mean, all all the things to run out of toilet roll. Like, who would have thought? Um, You know, panic buying and, yeah, it just feels like a very different world. Even today, like, you kind of forget. It was only last year. Like, we are still in a version of lockdown last year. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely, definitely strange. Yeah,
0: it is. And, and you know, I think talking about the remote working side of things, I think before, as you, as you know, before COVID, everyone was screaming out, let me work from home, let me work from home. Then mm-hmm. they're like, okay, you, know, you, you need to work from home full time for two years. Yeah. And everyone was like, mm, okay, maybe I do kind of like a bit of the office stuff. Yeah. So it's gone kind of, I feel it's gone one extreme to the other. And then the, now it's getting to a little, a, a, a medium point.
1: It was always going to equalize at some point. You know, I think I've always enjoyed the office. I enjoy talking to people, having ad hoc conversations. Um, I often find work from home full time really difficult. Um, like, you can make it work. Um, but yeah, I think my ideal now is kind of a nice hybrid mix. You know, some time in the office, some time at home. Um, and prioritize your calendar, your day around whether you're at home or not. Um, so, when i in the office, try not to book back to back meetings all day. Uh, try and spend time with people in the room. Um, when I'm at home, meeting days, like, focus work. Know that the office time is about casual conversation and interruptions. If you do that, you'll find the the switch between the two less frustrating.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's really good. Yeah, I kind of like use that day to binge out on the social stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And just accept that's going to happen. Like you're not seeing someone for two weeks. You're going to have a conversation. You're going to have coffee. You're going to go for lunch. Mm. Um, Things you may not do when you're at home. Like you wouldn't book meetings for things, Mm. but you'd have a conversation for 20 minutes. Mm. Um, So yeah, plan for your day to be interruption filled. Um, You'll be less frustrated when it actually happens.
0: Yeah, really, really good point. You were, COVID hit, mm. you were the only place or one of the only places that you could buy cards. How did, how, how, what kind of toll did that take on your, uh, on your infrastructure?
1: It's kind of a, a, a real challenge. So, you know, when you couldn't go to a shop and, and buy something and, you know, there was a lot of outpouring of love and you couldn't see family. So you wanted to find ways to, to kind of let people know you cared. You know, Moonpig were one of the few places you could still go, um, you know, and I think it was a very difficult time for everyone. Um, you know, we wanted to be there for all customers and there's only so much you can do from an infrastructure or platform perspective. Um, so actually we had to find very creative ways to, to still be there for customers and let them kind of share that, that emotion. Um, so we launched, um, e-cards as a way that we couldn't print faster. So actually how can we still allow you to send a personalized card? Um, and kind of e-cards was, was the thing we went for. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it was definitely, definitely a real challenge to 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 be the right the right thing at the right time.
0: Yeah, the, the one thing I love about Moonpeak cards is, and it sounds like an advert for Moonpeak, it's not, but um, it's just the fact that because my initial what used to put me off buying cards online and send them was the fact that mm. it was all typed out. Yeah, and it was like oh, it's a bit robotic. Yeah, but the fact that you can write a, a message, take a picture of it, so it's your handwriting, I think is yeah. incredible.
1: Yeah, I think ultimately we're looking for ways to make things more personal. You know, whether it's handwritten, whether it's you know experiences like experiences seem to be pretty big. Um, you know, again through COVID, I think people realised possessions maybe aren't the thing you want. Yeah. Actually, an experience, whether it's a driving experience, a holiday, a golf, a golf lesson, actually, how do they become more important to people? Mm. Um, especially when things like cost of living are a challenge. Like I think where people spend the money now is more selective, and I think people also want that experience. Like I, you know, I went to Croatia recently. I went there purely for the experience. Um, you know, and it was more a case of. I remember that holiday for years to come sure um, the, the pack of beer my brother bought me for my birthday last year I've already drunk that that's gone yeah. I've already forgotten what he bought me yeah. Um, but yeah, the time in on holiday and things was is kind of what you remember
0: that's, that, that' that's brilliant and I think well that's kind of what I wanted to ask you next actually because you're between the world traveled you've worked in multiple different countries mm-hmm. um, really different like different different countries as well.
1: Yeah.
0: what was that like?
1: Yeah, it was interesting so what you soon realize is, is cultures can be very, very different, even though you're not that far away. Um, so, I, like, you know, I spent six odd years or seven years in Spain. You know, it's only a two-hour flight away. Like, it's not a million miles away. Um, but you learn very, very quickly that things happen when they happen. Like, don't expect anything to happen today. Maybe not tomorrow. Or even tell you when it will happen. So you, you kind of end up in this place where it's like, it will happen at some point. Just chill out. Uh, and that's been really, really helpful. Um, you know, seeing families playing in the in the town square at midnight it was just normal. Like it's not a thing you kind of see in, in the UK. So that kind of family focus is also really interesting. You know, then you kind of move to to, a, to a, an Amsterdam or a Holland or um, things there are very efficient. They're very direct. Um, you know, if they say something's going to happen, it will happen. So you kind of have that. That they said it'll be tomorrow. It'll be tomorrow. Um, so again, that was also really really interesting. You know, I like the direct nature of, of Dutch conversation. Um, it's, you know, it's never meant to be rude or aggressive. They just get to the point. Sure. Um, but what I really like is they still talk about the weather. So, so oh, it's raining in Amsterdam today. Uh, that kind of connection to, to the UK, we love to talk about the weather. Um, I found really interesting. Um, my time in India was also kind of, of eye-opening. You don't know what to expect an in Indian to you go. Uh, and you kind of see, like, people people often have nothing um, like owning a house is is super super exciting, and they they're really proud, so they invite you around and you will have dinner with their family, and um, that for me again is really interesting because you you appreciate the small things. Mm. Um, often we can we can forget we are quite lucky in in this country, um, like people have a lot of nice things. It's not always the case elsewhere, so that appreciation of the small family or details again I found really really interesting.
0: Wow, all I'm taking from that is that not that any particular culture, not, we're not saying is right or wrong or, you know, um, the correct way of doing things, but it's it's almost taking those those bits and being like, oh, that this kind of, like, thinking about how other cultures think about certain issues or problems yeah. or how they interact.
1: Yeah, don't, treat every, don't try and assume your culture is the right one. Don't try and apply your culture to every problem. Because, um, ultimately, people are different. They have different experiences. Um, and that plays a little bit into the leadership style as well. Like try to understand where they come from, their, their background, try and learn about them because you can have kind of better in kind of conversations and yeah, you can figure out how to help.
0: What, how do you th- what do you think the best way, say you were coming into a new team that was already established perhaps. I don't know if that's like, something you've ever done. Probably she made it, it probably is. Yeah. What's the first thing that you need to do?
1: I think to talk to people. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of sitting down, having a coffee with each, each person individually. Understand where they've come from, what they're looking for, what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy. Um, you kind of have to understand everyone's perspective around where things maybe don't work how they'd like, mm. um, what they love, what they don't love, because everyone's got a different, different kind of perspective. By doing that, you get a feel for themes, patterns. You can understand, like, as a leader, how can I help? Sure. Like, what's the first thing I want to do? Is it give them more breathing space? Is it focus on technical debt? Is it focus on deployments or friction? Mm. Um, like, where is it you can help? Um, and when you only really find that out by having conversations and doing it over a coffee in person where possible, um, it's definitely preferred. Um, If not, get get time booked on on a video call really, really quickly. Um, Yeah, and spend time just having a conversation. You can find out a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. And and we were talking about facts of a really good leader versus a really bad leader earlier and and how it can be detrimental to somebody or uh, really empower them. And it's something that I'm guilty of as well is people don't remember how busy you were or how rushing about you were. They, they remember the kind of time that you spent with them. Is there anybody that you've crossed paths with before that is really etched in your mind as a really great leader?
1: Yeah, a number of people for, for different reasons. So, um, I spent a few years working at Sainsbury's, and there was um, one of the HR team there uh, introduced me to, to kind of seven leadership as a concept. Hadn't really heard of it before. Um, and they really pushed me to think about what kind of leader am I? Um, they shared the book, you know, once reading the book. Um, they really pushed me to to think about management style differently, mm. uh, especially inside of a big organization. Um, that thing was really interesting. Um, when I worked for a for a small startup in in kind of property, the CEO there was the kind of really inspiring. Give him a speech and he'll he'll wow everyone and there'll be tears. Mm. Um, what I took from him was he's pure efficient to get stuff done, but without working crazy hours. Um, like sometimes we kind of you know the you know, get up at five and do the gym and by nine, you've you you've done nine things. Actually, he was able to get a lot of stuff done by working a normal kind of nine to five while supporting the young family. Um, and he did it by by being ruthless with what he did and what he didn't do. Um, he called up, I'm a CEO, I do these three things. If you see me doing other things, tell me and I'll stop. And right. um, that for me was kind of really interesting. Because um, yeah, we sometimes, pro- you know, we celebrate being busy yeah such a long day so many meetings actually to be an effective leader that's probably the wrong approach you almost want to to have free time to have time to think have time to be strategic um so yeah i'm guilty of oh really busy day today i've done so much but you've actually not really achieved anything so actually yeah how do you how do you focus on what's important um versus kind of all the noise
0: yeah, that's so true. Like, it's been fetishized, hasn't it, to be like super, super busy. Yes. And yeah, it's... the
1: LinkedIn posts. I'm up at five in the gym. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm asleep at five. And yeah. I tend to be asleep at five for a long time to come.
0: So true. And is that? It? Do you think an element of it is? Really not. I, I did speak. I've spoken to a a CEO. Um, I won't mention who the business he's the CEO of, but he. I asked him his advice on, on how he, you know, keeps his diary free and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he said, I just, I just don't do anything in the morning. My mornings, I have no meetings. Yeah. I, that's just my time to do all my work. And then yeah. 12 or one onwards, that's when I book all meetings in. Yeah. So there's that whole ruthlessness around, around your schedule. And yeah. it's, it's, it's Parkinson's law as well, isn't it, right?
1: It is, yeah. And I, I try and replicate that, but um, I like to talk to people. So I, I sometimes say yes a little bit too easily. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect, um, but I have time in my diary blocked out, it's focus time. That's where I can kind of get stuck in and solve problems or be strategic. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my one-to-ones pre-booked in calendars, so I know when they are. Uh, I try and where possible avoid back-to-back meetings, because um, it ends up in a very long day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think all of us as leaders should try and do the same thing: mm-hmm. find time for that focus, that that time to sit back and think. Um, I can't remember who who called it. Basically, find time to be bored, because when you're bored, your brain then processes the information you've collected, uh, and you can kind of sort through it a lot faster.
0: It wasn't like a famous scientist who um, he was trying to he, he was trying to work out an issue. This might be completely wrong. I hope it isn't. He started doing some a very menial job mm. um, to to allow his brain, like you said, just to, yeah. uh, to, 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 to in the background, and he solved, solved the issue. It was the yeah. end of it. I probably yeah. doesn't know that story justice, but
1: it might not be true. But it, there was a, an episode of the Big Bang Theory, which I love that TV show. Oh, was it really? Um, where one of the one of the I think it was Einstein or someone worked in the patent office, and that was their mundane task, Oh, and nice. that allowed their brain to be free and. Uh, and think about other things um so yeah it might, might not be a true story but it's a good episode
0: there's there's, there's a story and there's a, there's a message in there either there way yeah wow
1: um, like how many times have you solved a problem in the morning in the shower or whilst cooking dinner sure um that's purely your brain doing something else um i try and force that through through playing the piano not very good but i still try um i ride a motorbike i volunteer for a blood bike charity um, these are all things designed to stop me thinking about work because then my brain has time to process and it's amazing what you can solve if you do that.
0: That's a really good bit of advice. Amazing. Okay, so and Pete at the minute. Anything that we should be keeping an eye out for in the next six, 12 months that's going on?
1: Yeah, I kind of think one well, of my most excited for there's so many things happening. Um, we've we've just launched video cards, which I think is a really interesting concept. Oh, incredible. Um, so you can, you get a printed physical card through the post. Um, you scan a QR code. You can then watch a pre-recorded video. Um, that, for me, is kind of really interesting, yeah. uh, especially in, the, in a world where you can't see everyone face-to-face. Mm. Um, you know, using it for you know, distant relatives um, that may be abroad, um, that, for me, is kind of a really interesting take on how do we make things more personal? Uh, and actually, yeah, seeing your grandkids appear in a video on a card you've got for your birthday, that, for me, is really, really interesting. Uh, I've been using group cards more and more often, where you can have multiple people sign the same card. Wow. Um, So again, like distant family birthdays or um, work anniversaries, it's nice to get a card with like 10 or 12 people all signing their personal message and it comes printed on a single card. Or remote teams. Uh, Remote teams, you know, the hybrid working again kind of plays quite nicely. Um, those, Those for me are really, really interesting kind of developments that we've been working on. Loads more to come. That's fantastic ideas,
0: love that, brilliant. And um, so, uh, something we, we discussed uh, when before you came to the podcast was your interest in, and you have a few interests, obviously, definitely. And it was the interest in the arrival fallacy. Yeah. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, it's, it, I didn't know what I called it until recently. Yeah. So it's probably over, over Christmas, I came across this article and it was called The Arrival Fallacy. Mm. Um, and when I look back throughout my career, I'm like, if I get one more promotion, I'll have more impact. Mm. If I get one more thing, um, I'll be happier. If I buy a house, I'll be super happy. Um, and it's, it's a thing called the arrival fallacy. So when you achieve the thing you think is important or your end goal, the goal tends to move or you tend to find other things are in the way. So the happiness you expect might not be there. Um, so, you know, when I think when I was, you know, going through my early career, if I can become a senior engineer, I, I can do this stuff. If I become a head of engineering, I can do this. If I can you know, become a director engineer or a CTO, I can do this other stuff um and what i found is each time there's just some different challenges um uh, like it's not a nirvana there's no there's no like perfect role every time you get promoted or do something new you find a different level of constraint or a different challenge to solve mm. there's no end goal uh, and that for me is kind of like well if there's no end goal what am i chasing mm. like spent my entire life chasing the next thing and where i've got to now is just i'm gonna see how it goes right don't don't try and chase a thing that that may not give you happiness, and focus actually on what makes me happy now. Um, I think that's really important, as you know, people kind of start their career today, um, you know, and they, what do I do to become a senior engineer? How do I become a principal engineer? How do I become a staff engineer? Just think about actually what's the reason for getting that? Like, what is it you're chasing? Uh, just to make sure that when you get there, you're not disappointed.
0: For, for anyone listening who who then is thinking, but then how do I progress? How do I mm. how do I strive for that next thing? You know, how, yeah. Uh, what what would you say to them?
1: Yeah, I think progression comes in a number of ways. So one is job title, pay. You've kind of got the, the intrinsic um, kind of progression. You've then got the kind of the growth mindset kind of progression. So I learn a new skill. I work on a different problem. I, I work with a different team. Learning a new skill isn't a, I read a book or I take an online Udemy course mm-hmm. and I know it. Um, you take a skill, uh, you spend you know, 10% of your time learning it. You spend 50 or 60% of your time doing it repeatedly until it becomes second nature. And then you spend 40 or 30% of your time teaching it to someone else. Um, that tells you that you've kind of got the context, got the knowledge, and you can teach it to someone else. The example I used a few years ago was learning to drive a car. Like You learn to drive a car, you're very conscious of changing gear and indicating and looking in your mirrors. After sort of two or three years, like you get your test and your test teaches you how to drive a car. It doesn't teach you how to drive. Um, so after three or four years, you don't know when you change gear. You don't know when you indicate, you don't know when you check a mirrors. It's, it becomes almost, um, natural. At that point, you've then got the brain power to learn the next thing. Um, so yeah, think about the breadth of things you can learn and, and don't think about growth only as job title or, or pay, but like there's so many more things you can grow in. Uh, and that for me, I think makes really well rounded people, um, they're not just, um, you know, I can do one thing really well. Actually, how can you do broader things? And you can't know everything in intimate detail. Um, but I think you can You can find things that you're passionate about. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm chasing my own growth now. Uh, not necessarily job title or, or progression. It's, okay, cool, I've not done this before. Let's explore that a little bit and see what I think.
0: It's, it's tough, isn't it? Because I think society tells you that salary and title is, and it is a tangible way of mm-hmm. saying you know, how, how well are they doing, yeah. Unfortunately,
1: yeah. Uh, if you look at Maslow's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, kind of pay and like living conditions are kind of like the basic. Yeah. Like once you have kind of got that, you know, the end start moving away from just physical, you know, money and, and status, moving to kind of the broader things. So culture, um, work life balance become way more important. Um, but yeah, ultimately, everyone everyone should be paid well for what they do and paid fairly. Um, but that for me is like the basic level of of kind of happiness. Mm. Um, it's something like, how do you get how do you get happiness and growth elsewhere? It's um, so me, you know, I can earn more money and I'll spend it. I'll buy more things I don't need. Um, so actually, yeah, how do you take a back to, to not not for minimalists, you know, that people some people are like I want just the basics. Um, I do spend money on things I don't need, um, but actually, yeah, how do you how do you get growth without just always chasing something? Uh, and that's kind of a, a bit of an interest of mine right now.
0: Love that. Is that where the, the the interest in the pianos come from? You were talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I played the played the piano when I was was really young. I want to find a way to switch off and do something different. And I like music. Like with, when you're playing music, you've got to really think about the notes, what your hands are doing. You've got to think about the rhythm. It kind of forces you to stop thinking about other stuff. Um, like my brain's always going 100 miles an hour. I'm probably thinking about nine things at once, and you end up with with kind of fatigue. Um, you know, how often have you sat, you know, after a day's work. And your partner said, what do you want for dinner? You're like, I, I don't know. but like, I can't think anymore. Uh, so actually, how do you avoid that kind of decision fatigue as well? I know people that have the same, the same clothes every day. So they've got, you know, 10 pairs of jeans and 10 t-shirts. that are identical. And they wear the same thing every day because they haven't got to decide. They've got a morning routine where they do the same five things every single day to save them having to, to decide. Again, that's something else I'm thinking about right now is, yeah, how do I take away some of the, the decisions that I have to make every day to allow my brain to have the power and the energy to think about bigger things? Yeah. Uh, and music's part of that for me.
0: I met with a friend the, um, the other day, Lydia, who was telling me about the spoon theory. Mm-hmm. Is that, have you heard? Have you heard no, I've I, I, I've never heard of it either. And it's, um, I guess you could replace spoon for something else, but basically every, every task, going to the work, getting up in the morning, requires a, diff- a certain amount of spoons mm. and you only get a certain amount of spoons every single day. Yeah. And dependent on how drained you are, one day going to work might take a, a certain amount of spoons, you know, whatever. But like you said, I think if you can take away the, that, this, those decisions and avoid decision fatigue or, or get some spoons back, basically, yeah. you're going to have more spoons to put into the stuff that you enjoy doing. Or, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, and I think about that from a, from a learning and development perspective. Once things become second nature, your brain is then free. You've got that extra battery to, to do other things, um, where if you're trying to learn five things at once, your brain is now split in five ways. Yes. Um, and it's really, really hard to cement anything. So actually, yeah, kind of learn less at the same time. Again, another kind of thing that I'm, I'm working on. So piano is my big thing right now. Um, I've gone on and off over COVID. I bought a nice electronic piano a few years ago. Um, yeah, it's just a really nice way to, to just give your battery time to recharge. It makes a massive difference. Love that. That's fantastic.
0: Um, well, I, I'm, I'm conscious of time. I, I could sit here and talk to you all day. To be honest about this, but uh, one thing I always like to say at the end of a podcast is, is, and you've got quite a few hobbies. So this might be a difficult question. But if today was your last day on Earth, you know, um, you weren't on this amazing podcast or spending time with family and friends, yeah. what would you be? What would you be up to?
1: I'd be volunteering. So um, I'm a volunteer blood biker. Um, so I support the NHS um, in evenings and weekends. Uh basically ride a motorbike, we carry blood, plasma, platelets, um, donated breast milk, medication. We do whatever we can with a motorbike to help the NHS to kind of relieve relieve pressure. I love doing that. Like, it gets me out of the house, gives me a good feeling I'm doing something useful. Yeah. Um, like I've got time to spare. Um, I enjoy riding, so I can kind of take two passions and and make something good out of it. It kept me really sane through through COVID, because we were out doing the COVID samples and the swabs and the the vaccinations like carrying that around um kind of allowed me time to get out of the house and and get away from from like being enclosed all the time so yeah i'd probably be doing that
0: incredibly altruistic yeah, have you used people say yeah. they're going to go on holiday or whatever
1: <laughs> i'd love to go on holiday too <coughs> that as well um yeah definitely I, I went to croatia last year the first time i turned my phone off on holiday left the work laptop behind and like read books like physical books um again i would do that as well like that's also really really nice Again, it's that recharge, mm. um, you know, wandering around, no plans, no big thing for today. going mm. to get up, walk in the in the street and go, oh, that looks fun. Let's do that today. Uh, again, one less decision to make.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I, I've absolutely loved speaking to you, Mark. And Thank you. Um, you've had an interesting career so far. It's had, like exciting things going on at Moonpig. And yeah, really excited to see uh, where you are in the next 12, 18 months, you know.
1: Great. Thank you. No, it's nice. It's been a great conversation. Great. Cheers. Thank you.
0: And that's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed it. Anything we talked about will be linked in the show notes. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll catch you on the next one.